African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Good morning and welcome to African Dialogue. It's the 6th of September 2019. We're coming to you live from South Africa in our headquarters at the SABC in Auckland Park. I'm your host, Ayandam Kwanazi. You can live stream us on www.channelafrica.co.za or you can listen to us on your DSTV audio bouquet. That's channel 802. International Literacy Day will be celebrated on Sunday, the 8th of September. It's an opportunity for government's civil society to highlight improvements in world literacy rates. So in the first segment, I'll speak to the author and early literacy consultant, Lorato Trok, about how we get South Africa reading from an early age. Sunday is International Literacy Day, an opportunity for governments, civil society and stakeholders to highlight improvements in world literacy rates, according to data released by the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, or UNESCO's Institute for Statistics. Literacy rates for adults and young uh, people continue to rise. Meanwhile, South Africa is facing what what some may call a reading crisis. 78% of pupils in their fourth year of primary school cannot read for meaning. Earlier, I spoke to Lorado Trok, an early literacy consultant and expert in in developing reading for pleasure, which are books for young children, especially in African languages. I started by asking her when her love for reading began. Well, my love for reading and writing started when I was very young. Well, although we did not have material, especially materials that reflected our own lives, materials that, you know, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s where, you know, apartheid was brutal then. We had nothing, we had no libraries, but I was always, uh, I, I always wanted to read. I always picked up anything that, uh, that that was written. I read my mother's church books. I read everything and it was all in Sitswana because Sitswana is my, 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 my mother tongue and writing, I've always been writing even if it was incoherent or whatever when I was a, 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 just a young girl, I've always loved writing and so on so when I went to, I, I studied as a teacher, I'm, I'm trained as a teacher and a librarian mm-hmm. and also a creative writing um, a, a graduate so for me it came naturally because all these things that I studied for, they, 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 they gel together in terms of my reading and writing. I mean, being a librarian, being a teacher, being a creative writing facilitator. So that has always been my space. Mm. Did you ever see yourself as creating a career in this creative writing and literature when you were a young girl, maybe even a young teenager? I didn't even think that you could have you could have a career in writing because remember there were no role models in you know I've never I've never heard of any black person who've written a book you know like I remember Cindy Magona saying the same thing that you know and Cindy started writing when she was in her forties and she's she's a very accomplished writer right now in this country and she said the only time she knew that somebody, a black person could write is when she, I think she was in New York or when she was reading Toni Morrison's books. For me, I think when I was 15, 
I got a book. I got Maya Angelou's book. I know why the caged birds sing. Mm. And I was fascinated. I was fascinated by, by by her writing. I was fascinated by a reflection of a life that was similar to mine in her writing and so on. So that's when I knew that people can write and have a career, but I just never thought that there would be something that I will do on a full-time basis or even earn a living, make a living out of it. Mm. When did you then decide that I'm now making a career out of this. At what point in your life were you? You know, after I graduated as a teacher, I, I just I, I I I just had graduated, but I was never a teacher actually. I can put it that way. I wow. was never in a classroom. <laughs> so you can still go back to the classroom. No, you I can't. <laughs> I wouldn't even know what to do. Mm. I just what happened is that after I graduated, I went to work in a library in my hometown. I'm from the Northern Cape in, in Kuruman, a small town. So I went to work in a library, and that was not your regular library. I'll call it a special library mm -hmm. because it was at the mission station, the Kurman Moffat mission station. And that library, well, obviously, because it was a mission, it was theology. There was a lot of books where there were theology, and it was just once in a while where people would come. So it wasn't used as an everyday library. But it has the most amazing books, first mm. editions, books on travel, books on... And I tell you, I'm sure I have read all those books because it was just me most of the time in that library. So we st I started a program for, for, for teachers, especially preschool teachers in the villages around Kuruman. I started a, a program for them to come to the library and got some funding to introduce them to the concept of library and borrowing books and reading and writing and so so that's when the whole thing started i just didn't want to stay there mm. and wait for old men to come and pick up books from the theological yes. library i wanted something that worked for the community so that's when i started having programs in my library with with teachers who have never been exposed to libraries and books especially in Sitswana for mm. for children because children's books are so rare mm. Mm. so you you provided this program in Sitswana in Setswana mostly because you know some of those preschool teachers they were not really you know it's just those preschool teachers that a mama from you know a village will just start a, a school and then so there was no concept of being an educationalist and so it was just mm. helping out kids in the village so that they don't have to to, to stray and so on so I started that I I, I translated a lot of books because there were no books in Setswana. So mm. I had to translate most of those books, sure. children's books, from English into Setswana for them to come to the library and get, because most, some of them didn't even speak English. Mm. And they didn't even teach the kids in English. The teach were taught entirely in Setswana. So I had to translate those and get funding to get them uh, printed in, in, in Sitswana so that they could take those books and so on. How was it received, this program in Kuruman? It was so warmly received by those teachers. I mean, they had absolutely nothing. The only library that we had then was in town. And the library in town, I mean, it wasn't really the library that they felt comfortable going to. There were no books in Sitswana at all. It was just books in English <laughs> and Africans because, you know, the Northern Cape is very Africans as well. More than 60% of the population, they speak Africans. I mean, the library that I was at is far, it's on the outskirts. So we also provided some transport. We got funding that provided transport for them because we understood that they did not have the means to come to the library. So when we had programs, and it was fun because we could, 
also have them sleep over for the whole week and mm. train them on that and give them the books and show them how to use the books, how to use the libraries, how to read to the children, how to engage the children, the whole thing about literacy. That's the space that we created for them. It's such a pity that when I left, it just never was done on a long-term basis. Mm. Yeah. So those are the stories that I'm really interested in carrying because for me, it's also that, you know, when people access information in their home languages, in, in their mother tongue, then it's, it's better. They are not intimidated. They are free to talk about the books. They are free to read. They don't feel, especially people who are not literate, mm. we start there with them. So that's what I did with this program with the teachers that because some of them were not really into English and so on. Then when they see somebody validating them, because when you speak to people in their languages, you validate them. Mm. You are saying to them that you matter, your language matter, your culture matters. And that's what we did with them with the school. So I still kind of talk to them and say, hey, have you seen this website? Can you download the books here? Go to the library and access free data and do this and do this. They still call me to say, when are you coming here to give us workshop? And unfortunately, there's the funding that I need to get and do workshops for them and get them to write. Because the other thing is that we need people to write their own story. There are so many stories mm. in African homes mm. that need to be written. But people don't know how to start because sometimes what people need is just a start, just one step. And then there's so much that can be achieved by just providing a step. Tell me about that importance of having writers being able to express themselves in their own language. It's a very big thing now in South Africa that we want even children from an early age, from seven, they can choose a home language which they understand, which they feel comfortable in learning in the classrooms. Do you think that's the breakthrough that we need as a country? It's a no-brainer. We, we need that. I mean, that is a no-brainer. I don't even understand this whole concept of us wanting to consume uh, everything in English because we are a multilingual society and I mean if you, you, the recently I saw the stats that came out from states essay that English is only like what 8% only 8% of the population have indicated that they, English is their home language mm. they speak English we have 27% of people in this country who identify Isizulu as their home language You've got people more than how much? 15% of people who identify Isikosa. You've got 12% Setswana, and so on and so on. So what is difficult? What is so difficult that you know? What it should be so easy for the government, for the Department of Basic Education to say everything. Let's do all this in 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 mother tongue. Eh? Children, you know what is said is that these kids, they are home the whole time. They speak Isikosa, they speak Isizulu, they speak Setswana, Sesotho, Ischivenda, Shitsonga, and so on. And then they go to school and they, they speak this English language and then they go back to ho home, they don't speak English at all. Mm. Why don't we just progress from that home language and take it to school as well? Why do we expect our children to speak a language that is very foreign to them when it's not the same with English and African kids? It's just our children who are the majority in this country and we are forcing them to speak a language. They don't, don't, they don't identify with, we've got a, a, a serious problem with wanting English to be a language. That we are not saying, don't do English, let's, mm, not, let's mm. do away with English. That's not what we are saying. We are saying we are a multilingual society. Let, let that be seen in what we do, in our educational spaces, in literature, in all that, that this country is multilingual. You recently released your book, Against the Odds. Yeah. Why was this book so special for you? Oh my God, Ayanda, this book was, you know, first of all, this book 
was a book that I should have read when I was in high school. Mm. So for me, it was like I missed out on a story like this when I was in high school. I don't want other kids to miss out on stories like this. Because what happened is that I was working for the African Storybook uh, Initiative, and one of our pilot schools was in Atrechville. And I came to, I went to that school, and we were trying to get the teachers to use the digital books that we had. And I met this librarian who told me, who said to me that you need to meet, do you know Merosina, Memudiba? And I said, who's Memudiba? No, Memudiba used to run in the 70s and so on. And I was like, no, I don't know her. And she said, you know, there's a school named after her. And I was like, this is serious. Mm. This, this is this 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 is something. This is history. Mm. And then I I said to her that I'm going to write your story, but I need to know more. What is going on and so on. And then in twenty that was 2013 when I met her. Then only in 2017 I became serious about writing because there was so much, always so much to do and so on. And then 2017 when I left my job that I was doing and then I wanted to just take things easy and focus on my writing and other things. I applied to Anfasa for, for this grant and I was only one of the 12 people out of the 300 uh, applied. Yes. Wow. And then I got the grant and I started meeting Merosina, writing this book and the history was just so fascinating. I mean some of the things I did not know. I only knew that she had a school named after her but there was no... and. You know, there was no literature mm -hmm. on Merosina at all. This book, small sure. as it is, is the first book that's available on her story. Mm -hmm. so, so for me, it was like I needed to have read this book when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. When and it's not only for high school; it's not only for kids. It's for it's it's black history. Mm -hmm. It's sports history in our country. It's for research purposes if you are going to be doing research in for black athletes and so on in the seventies, eighties, and so on. So. So this story is about Me Rosina Sidibane Mudiba, who was an athlete in the 1970s, 1974 up until 1978, when she broke multiple records in the 800, 1500, and 3000 meters. And she, you know, in the black, um, because it was during the time of apartheid, mm. so obviously there was segregation in sports as well. We know that. And there was obviously the white sporting the cold and the black sporting coat. So in the black in, in the black federation, she was a champion over and over and over. So the only time that she would be allowed to run against the white people is only when your time as a black person. Mm. It was only when your time was on par with some of the white athletes. Right. So her time was the only one that was on par with some white athletes. So she was invited to, to race run with, them. with the with the white people. And she actually won. I don't think that they thought that she would actually win. Mm. And she did. She kind of shamed the apartheid government. Mm -hmm. So she won many times and set multiple records over and over and over. And that's what, But they refused to acknowledge her. Mm. They refused to give her accolades. They never gave her the springboard colors. Because that was reserved. That was not for black people. I mm. mean, listen, they were not human. Mm. So that was reserved for whites only. She never got it. She only got her green jacket in 2013 when Kikile wow. was the minister of sports. Mm. And the school was named after her in 2010. So let's fast forward to, to South Africa in 2019. A few days time, we'll be celebrating International Literacy Day.
And this is a day to obviously observe the importance of literacy, the importance of being in an environment where you are constantly reading. And South Africa has got very, very high levels of illiteracy and uh, children even in grade four can't read for meaning. How do we then change this pattern, this, this trend that seems to be growing? Literacy starts at home, it starts anywhere. Let's, let's talk to children. Even talking literature is not, it's, I know that print is very important. The children need to see the words that are being spoken. Mm. But let's mm. start with that. In South Africa, we do have a problem of, of literacy. I mean, it's very sad that we had 78% mm. of our children in grade four who cannot read with understanding. Mm. What, mm. what have we done wrong? Tell me about your work at the Buku Foundation. Buku reviews books that are written for children that are written in African languages mostly. Mm. So we want to focus on the parents um, uh, and the caregivers and the teachers and the librarians because we do have a problem where when you go to a library, I remember there was a time in 2016, the Parliamentary Committee on Arts and Culture, they were going around, you know, in all the provinces were talking to librarians about the kind of books that their communities want mm. and so most I attended one of those in Pretoria, the National Library. And most librarians were complaining about, you know, African languages. They say people don't want African languages in, in the libraries, they don't take them mm. because why? They've been badly translated. Oh, oh. It was not because people don't want to read African but they just languages. didn't reflect the actual language. It just did not reflect the language of the people. Mm. Badly translated because that is the thing. Mm. Publishers don't invest in African languages. Mm. They don't invest. What I'm saying is that let us originate literature in African languages. And that's what we are trying to do as people. Where do you see yourself heading in the next two, five years? Your vision of getting as many young people, children, literate and confident in their African languages, because that's what I'm getting from you, is you want them to be able to read, but to also be confident in reading in their own languages hoping that I'll still be pursuing this whole thing of writing and reading in African languages because it's a long-term thing. I mean, can, we, can you believe that we are talking about promoting African languages in, in Africa in 2019, mm. that we're still talking about that here, that we want people to read? I mean, it's such a pity when I see young kids young black kids in South Africa are not able to speak their home languages and their parents being proud and saying no they don't speak Sitswana or they don't speak Isizulu, speak English to him mm. and I feel so sad because so much is being taken away from that child so much is being taken away from that child, it's not only the culture it's not only that, it's so much and we actually need to, to not think about our languages as a cultural thing, we need to think about our languages as languages of science languages of of medicine, languages of, of 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 finance and so on, just like the African, mm. just like what happened, what is with Africans and Mandarin and Spanish and all that, because it's possible. How would you describe yourself in three words? I'm a bibliophile. I'm a lover of books. I'm a lover of the arts of literature. And that's the voice of Lorato Trock, an early literacy consultant and expert in developing reading for pleasure. And that's his books for young children in African languages.